Well, that was good. That was real good. If you have your Bible, find the book of Isaiah. Book of Isaiah. And we're going to be focused in Isaiah 60, 64. So Isaiah chapter 64. While you're finding that, let me, let me read a passage to you. Isaiah 45, it says, I am the Lord, and there is no other besides me. There is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. You see, the Bible teaches, the Bible makes it clear that the God that we serve is unique, utterly unique among all the other gods that have ever existed throughout humanity. But what is it that makes our God unique? I want us to look this evening at one of the many features that separates the one true God from all the false gods throughout history. You see, I believe that our victory comes through God and it does not come through us. And I look at my life, and there have been times in my life that I have had an improper view of God. And when we have an improper view of God, it can be detrimental to our theology, and it can be detrimental to the way that we live our life. I think there is the tendency in all religions to focus on works and to try to earn the love and the favor of God. Religion turns to what I can do, But true Christianity turns to what Christ has done. Religion says do, but Jesus says done. Religion says slave, but Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, but Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. Religion is man searching for God, but Christianity is God searching for man. Religion is based upon the works of man, but Christianity is based upon the works of God. And when you look through the Bible, you look through the Gospels, the New Testament, you find one group that Jesus has much conflict with. And you know who it is? It's the religious. It is the religious over and over and over again. And there is much opposition when Jesus comes into town. And the problem is they have a distorted view of who God is, and it changes the way that they live their life. They begin to be the picture of hypocrisy and the picture of all that God is against. And when I look at my life, I can find times that I look just like the Pharisees. I can find times in my life that I am so hypocritical. I can find times in my life when I am full of pride and the good things that I've done. And I think I have earned a better spot than others. I look at times in in my life and I see that I'm striving, I'm working, I'm doing activity with the thought that I'm going to earn more of the love of God. And that's not biblical. I'm busy, I'm I'm active, I'm doing all of this thinking that, that I will earn this favor from God. But that is what makes us different from all the other religions. There is no basis to that. And when we make Christianity like every other religion, then I'm just going to propose to you tonight that we lose. 
We lose what makes it unique. We, we lose what separates us from everything else. And so I want you to see just one simple key distinction tonight that I believe if we understand properly, it is something we will not only celebrate, but it can change the way that we live our life. We're going to get it started tonight, and we'll finish it next time we meet together. But Isaiah 64, and we're going to begin in verse 1. The Bible says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. The people are crying out, basically for the good old days. And they want God to come and help them in their distress. In this passage, God seems distant. He seems far off. It seems as though God is withholding his presence from his people. It seems as though the enemies of God are the ones who are prospering. The adversaries of God are the ones who have the upper hand. And so Isaiah is praying, and he's praying, God, would you reveal yourself? God, would you please come down? Would you stand forth, and would you be effective? God, I don't see you. I need to see you. I am missing you, and I want you to come and show your power. I don't want to just see you, but I want to see the effects of you. And so he says, I want you to come like fire that burns the brushwood because you can see that. I want you to come like the fire that makes the water boil. It's not just the fire, but the fire is effective in what it does. And so there is a pleading that says, God, you seem so distant. You seem so far off. You seem so displaced. And we need you. And I wonder in your life, have you ever felt like that? I wonder right now in your life, do you feel like that? Do, do you feel like God is distant? Do you feel like you pray and you pray and you pray, but God never answers and God never responds? Well, this is not the key of our, our message tonight, but I, I do want to just look at why, why does God seem so distant? <clears throat> well, in this case, look at verse 5. Skip down a little bit, look at verse 5. It says, Behold, you are angry and we sinned. And our sins, we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? And it goes on in the following verses. And the reason that God seems distant is because of the sin in their life. And so I want to make the point just real quick. I won't charge you for this, like Brother Charles says. But if you have sin in your life, there's active sin in your life or in my life. Isaiah says it makes separation between us and God. And so we can continue with all the religious activity. We can continue with the songs and with giving and with coming to church and with all the stuff that we do. But if there is open, unconfessed sin in our life, there will always be separation between us and God. And so they're calling out. They're saying, God, we need you. We need to see your power. We need to see your effects. And now look at verse 3. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down the mountains, they quaked at your presence. From old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No one has seen a God beside you who does what? Who acts for those who wait for him. He says, we remember times in the past and we want that again. 
There is no God like you. You are unique. The call for God to come and to show action from the days past. There is no other nation who has seen or even heard of a God like our God. No eye has seen anything like the God of Israel. And he's saying this is not a theoretical argument. This is not an inquiry of what we want. But this is what we have experienced based on real life experiences in which God has said something or God has done something. And there is an undeniable proof because of it. He's attempting to describe what is real and what is factual based upon human observation. Because it is the God that we serve who came down in a cloud and a pillar of fire on top of Mount Sinai. And he spoke with an audible voice. There is proof and experience that he exists. This is the God who wants to have a covenant relationship with his people. And he speaks and he communicates to mankind. And so the God that we serve is unique. And although there are other religions and they claim that their God acts and they claim that their God speaks, has anyone seen it? Has anyone heard it? Has anyone experienced it? And the answer is no. But there is a difference in the God that we serve. And one area of his uniqueness, I want you to realize, is that he works on our behalf. It says, from old, no one has heard, perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. The word acts could be translated does or works. A God who works on our behalf. A God who acts on our behalf, a God who does on our behalf. For those who wait upon him, for those who look to him, for those who trust in him, for those who give credit to him. And this is what makes God astoundingly unique. Because all the other gods, do you know what they say? They say, come to me, come and prove yourself to me, come and do for me. But the Christian God comes to the weak and the needy people and says, I'm willing to work for you. Would you just wait on me and would you trust me? He doesn't say, I need anything from you. There's nothing that God needs from you. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need your power. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your intellect. He doesn't need your abilities. God is not in need of me, and he's not in need of you. But he comes to the broken and the needy and says, if you'll just wait upon me, then I will work for you. I will act for you. I will do something for you. And maybe it sounds arrogant at first to say that God works for us. And you say, well, that just sounds weird, doesn't it? And it's, it's almost as if we're the employer and the Lord needs a job, and so we're going to let him work on our behalf. But, but that's a misunderstanding of the point. Here's what it means to say that God works for us. It means that I am bankrupt, and I need a bailout. It means that I am weak, and I need someone that is strong. It means that I am endangered. And I need someone to protect me. It means that I'm foolish and I need someone who is wise. It means that I'm lost and I need someone to rescue me. It means I'm hopeless and I need someone to give me hope. It means I'm purposeless and I need someone to give me a purpose. It means I am a sinner and what I need is a savior. That's what it means to say that God works for us. 
It means that I cannot do the work. I don't have the capacities. I don't have the capabilities. I don't have the means. I don't have the resources necessary. I am too weak and I'm too small. There's nothing that I can do except to run into the presence of God and to throw myself before him, to trust him, to wait upon him, and to allow him to work on my behalf. And do you know what happens when we do this? Here's what I love. When we do this, God gets the glory out of it. God gets the glory. It's not about us because we're weak, we're broke, we're pitiful. There's nothing we have to give. But when we wait upon God and he works on our behalf or he works through us, it's not about us any longer. It's all about him. And so when we learn to wait upon God, do you know what happens to our pride? It goes away. We realize that we're nothing, but he is everything. And so it puts us in a, a posture of worship where we exalt him and we realize where we really stand in the relationship. And so here's the question. What does it mean to say that God works for us? And how does God get the glory from it? Flip back a page. Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63. We're going to look at verse 11. It says, Then he remembered the days of old. We're thinking back to the days of old. Of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit? Who caused the glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? When God revealed himself through the events of the Exodus, the plagues, the dividing of the sea, he proved that God can be trusted. The people did not work in these events. They watched and God worked on their behalf. Do you remember the, the Israelites were in bondage for 430 years? They were in bondage to the Egyptians day after day, year after year. And one day God sent a man named Moses. And Moses came in to Egypt. And what did he do? All he did was speak on behalf of God. And God did all the work. God brought the plagues, the water into blood, the frogs, the gnats, the flies, the livestock that died, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and finally the death of the firstborn. And you know what the Israelites did? Nothing. They watched. They waited upon God. That they trusted God through this, and they watched as he worked. You say, well, they put blood over their doorpost. Yes, as a sign of trust. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we believe in you. We believe that what you said you're going to do, you're going to do it. So in trust, we're going to put this blood over our doorpost. And when they trusted God, what did God do? He worked. He acted. He did something on their behalf. And then they are leaving and they're celebrating. But they, they come to the water and they look back and they see the army is coming after them, coming with vengeance, coming with death. And Exodus 14 says they begin to complain. People have always complained, haven't they? 
It's never changed. And they said, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Verse 13, Moses replied, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. I like that. The Lord's going to fight for you. He's going to do the work. All you need to do is just be quiet. Just hush. Just stop and watch what God is going to do. And you remember what happened, that the water split and they go through on dry land and then God killed their enemy. Again, they did nothing, but it was God who was working on their behalf. And then a little while later, they come to Jericho and they must overtake this city. But they don't come up with this great, courageous plan. They don't show strength. They don't show valor. They trust God. They wait upon God. And what do they do? They march. Day after day, they march. It it makes no sense. It looks silly. It looks crazy. But they trust God, and they let God work, and God does the incredible. And here's how it speaks to me in my life, and and maybe in your life, and in the life of this church. There's a lot of stuff that we want to see done. Amen? Amen. I mean, there's lives that we want to see change. There's programs that we want to run. But I just wonder, how much are we doing in our own strength? And saying, God, you need my strength to do this. You need my abilities. You need my intellect. You need my gifts. So let me plug in my gifts, and let's make this happen. And how much are we saying, Lord, let me just trust in you? Let me trust in you. Let me wait upon you. Let me allow you to work through this. And I believe that's what makes all the difference in our lives and in our church. If it's all about what we can do, we're going to be just like every other church in town. But to be a people who were waiting upon God. I don't mean not doing anything. That that waiting, it means that we're trusting, we're depending upon, we're allowing God to use us and to use our gifts and our talents and our abilities. But it, it doesn't mean that we get way out ahead of God or we get behind God or we begin to be prideful and think that we're doing something great because we're not doing anything great. The greatness at Woodland Hills Baptist Church is only from God. It's only from what he's done. It's not about us. It's not about our talents. It's not about what we've given or what we've done. I remember somebody said once they were unhappy, and and they made this comment. They they said something like, if you just knew how much money I gave to this church. And it was probably true. They probably are a, a strong, strong giver. But what a terrible attitude. What a terrible attitude to think that, that you are holding this up or I'm holding this up. And not to depend and rely upon God. And so on the one hand, we have to wait upon the Lord, to depend upon the Lord. Let me give you an example of when the opposite happened. You don't have to turn. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. It says, At that time, Hananiah the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria... And did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Because you did not rely upon God, 
but you went to another king. You did what looked right in your eyes. Your enemy has escaped. Anybody ever have a problem with that? You have this difficulty in front of you, and you start thinking it through in your mind, and you come up with a solution to your problem? I do that. I'm a problem solver. I love to solve problems. And so when there's a problem in front of me, it can be difficult to go and pray and seek God. It's easy for me to get on the phone or get on the computer and try to find a solution to it. And so that's what we see here. You went to the king, and now you have lost. And then he continues. <clears throat> We're not the Ethiopians and the Libyans, a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen. But yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into you your hand he said you ought to know you have had battles in the past strong battles but you are victorious and you are victorious because you waited upon God because you depended upon God because you trusted upon God and then he says this for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him you have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. I love it. It says the eyes of God are searching. They're searching to and fro, left and right, east to west. They are searching for those who will be blameless, those who will live a life of character, and those who will wait upon God, those who will trust upon God. And then he says, then I'm going to act. Then I'm going to do. Then I'm going to work on your behalf. And so there's this, this crossroads in life. In life, you can do your own thing. You can follow your own power and your own abilities, and that is what most people do. Or you can depend upon God, and you can do the supernatural. Or you can depend upon God, and you can let God use you in ways that you never dreamed possible. He is active. He is ready for work to work for those who are waiting upon him. The point is, victory does not come through our effort. Victory comes through dependence upon God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. There's your summary statement right there. You want God to be glorified in your life? Because a lot of us think this, man, I'm going to glorify God if I go and I just do. And I'm just active. And I'm involved in all this. And we think I, I'm going to work and I'm going to earn it. God is most glorified in my life and in your life when I find my total satisfaction, my total well-being, my total peace in him. And as the scripture says, I wait in him. I trust in him. I find pleasure in him. And then I'm able to work through him there is no God like our God our God is unique because he works for those who wait upon him you say okay close up give me a, give me an example of what that looks like well maybe you look at life and you say you know what I need to live a life of godliness but I don't know what that looks like well the Bible says this it says for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure it says in 2 Peter, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And so if you're struggling and you say, my life needs to be more godly, but it's not, one of two things you can do. You can go and you can try to work, 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 and try to maintain it. 
okay? And that's going to be an endless fight. Or you can go to God and realize that he's the one that has worked on your behalf to give you all that you need for a life of godliness. And so you begin to seek God, and then that godliness will come in your life. That's what the Bible teaches. I believe you cannot do it on your own, but it is through the work of the Holy Spirit. God is the one who has done all to provide salvation. It says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But we're saved by grace through faith, not by work so that any man can boast. You're not saved by what you do. The very basis of our salvation is on God and it is not on us. There is an example of God working on our behalf. The song that Brittany sang, it's a perfect example of God working on our behalf. The crucifixion, the resurrection. God is the one who goes before you and fights. Deuteronomy 20, it says, For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies. You say, well, I've got this struggle with a specific sin. I've got this struggle with an addiction. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Even when it comes to overcoming temptation, God is the one who provides the way out. And so here's the challenge. Here's the dynamic that we have got to understand, and it will change our life. It's not about what we can do, but it's only about what he has done. It's not about our abilities or our power or our gifts or our strength, but it's totally about waiting upon the Lord and allowing him to work on our behalf. Let me ask you to close your eyes and and just think about it in your life. I want you to think of some things that you're doing in your own power. In your own abilities. There's probably some things you're thinking of. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm involved in this service. I'm involved in this activity. Now I want you to think of of something that you're doing that you are totally depending upon God. I mean, it takes faith. You're dependent upon God. You're waiting upon God. You need God to provide the answer. You need God to provide the power. You need God to provide the solution. You're at a crossroads. You've got a struggle. You know you need to be using a gift, but it's scary to you. You don't know how you're going to do it. The only way that you're going to utilize your gift is if the Lord uses you. 